0: Well, hi everyone. Ray Catania is here today to talk with us about the latest book in his awakening series called You Are Still Alive, Now Act Like It. In it, he shows others the path to celebrating life and living it to its fullest. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on the author. Ray Catania is a renowned author, metaphysical teacher, and coach known for his work in scientific spiritualism and metaphysics. He founded Limitless Publications and Coaching and authored two books in the Awakening series. Catania, who survived a near-death experience, is an ordained minister with master certifications in life coaching, reiki, and meditation. He is currently pursuing a doctorate in metaphysical parapsychology and has studied with various spiritual and healing experts. His private practice focuses on guiding individuals through transformative journeys. You can learn more about Ray Catania and all of his work at RayCatania.com. Well, hi, Ray. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live.
1: Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor and a pleasure to be with you today.
0: Well, I'm so excited to talk with you. I've been waiting to talk with you for a while. And I guess just to get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your new book, What is You Are Still Alive, Now Act Like It About?
1: So it is the second book in the Awakening series, and it came to fruition when I was at the end of the first book because I realized that there was so much more that I had learned after writing that book. And, you know, when you write a book, it takes about two years for it to actually hit the shelf. So there's a lot of time that passes as you're waiting for it to be published. And during that time, I learned so much more that I actually added to the ending of the last book, that there would be another one. Mm. I call the first book, The Transition, and the second one, The Transformation, because the first book is how things came to be, how I recognized them, the signs that were around me, the things I needed to pay attention to in order to learn. And the second book is me putting those techniques and those things to work, and finding the science behind them so that I can share this with other people and they can recreate it and have the same things too. Mm. Because there's nothing I do that anyone else can't do. These are things that are built inside of us. It's all through our sixth sense and we all have this ability.
0: Hmm. Wow, okay. So I've got to tap into mine then, right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Now, before we get into like kind of the meat of it, I I have to tell you that what drew me originally to your book was the title. It's so I I love it. It just grabs you. It's like a call to action. What was the meaning behind the choice of your title?
1: That's it. It was meant to be a call to action and it's kind of like a a wake-up call to say, "Hey, look, we're here and there's so much we can do and so many things we can enjoy." and we can have any life that we want to have when you kind of just adapt to a few principles you can literally acquire anything that you want you can have the life that you want and i guess it's more about building the life that you want while you're here to enjoy it Mm. and um, just take the reins of your own destiny and create your own destiny
0: okay So quit waiting for this to do this.
1: That's right. And a lot of people say that they'll go, you know, I'm waiting for this to happen for me to do this. Well, don't wait for this to happen. Even if you need that to happen, then do something else in the meantime, because it will lead to something else. Inertia is the worst thing we could do, right? Mm -hmm. If, as long as we do something, if we fail, we learn something. And if we achieve, we achieve. So there's never really a bad experience in this lifetime. Changing perceptions, that's one of the big things throughout the entire book.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so hard to do. Practice, right?
1: Exactly. Practice. Yes.
0: Now, you mentioned this being the second book in your series, and it's more of a, what I call it, a self-help or an inspirational book compared to the first uh, book, which was more autobiographical in style?
1: I think so, yeah. So the second book is more about learning how to literally take the concepts, universal principles, and putting them to action to have the things that you want. And not. I don't just mean that monetarily now. I mean that in other ways. Learning that happiness is comes from within. I know we all say that, but it's How many of us really put that to use and and believe it wholeheartedly? It's really not something that you can acquire externally. You can drive the greatest car in the world and buy the greatest car in the world, but in two months, you're going to be sick of that car and you're going to need another car to get that same feeling again. So materialism and having things quote unquote, that's not happiness. Mm -hmm. Happiness is being able to be happy when you're not happy. Happiness is being able to be content with whatever it is that you currently have. And yeah, you can always have more and there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, real happiness is being able to, I could be sitting on my couch or I could be sitting on a beach in Florida and I am exactly the same. My level of happiness does not change because of where I am because I, my happiness is derived from inside me. And that was one of the biggest things that I've learned.
0: Yeah. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's just something you've got to practice.
1: Yeah. It took about six years of practice for me, which is why that book came out as late as it did, six years later.
0: Yeah. Is it kind of along the lines of, what do I want to call it? You know, like a fake it to make it type attitude? um, Yeah. Until it it kind kind of...
1: of Ultimately, you're trying to reprogram the things that have already been programmed within you so your subconscious mind is like a data bank or a hard drive and it contains all your experiences that you've had in the past and your ego or your egoic mind i don't mean like egotistical i mean it in the freudian sense Mm -hmm. the ego derives its material from your subconscious mind now if you do that all the time you're essentially living in the past And you're going to do the things tomorrow that you've already done yesterday. And it's going to result in the same result. So if you do things the same way over and over, but you're not getting a different result, it's because you're relying on your ego to direct you instead of a higher level of consciousness, which we all have. And that's called our awareness. Mm. And Eckhart Tolle gave it that name, I believe. And it's because we're aware that we're having an emotion or a thought Now, very few living beings have this ability because that's part of our consciousness at the highest level. So if you know you're having a thought or you know you're having an emotion, you can change the emotion. And like you said, fake it. till you make it in the beginning, they won't change right away. Something will happen. It will upset you and you'll get angry. And then you'll say, okay, I'm not going to do that next time. going to remember that when this same thing occurs I'm not going to be reactive and react in that way I will do this instead I will feel this way instead and after a while of doing that over and over and over and I'm talking several times a day it could take months it could take a year it could take longer and that depends on the person yeah Um, but eventually you will have the experience where something transpires and it should have made you either very, very angry, let's say, or very anxious. And all of a sudden it's that that emotion is gone. It's just not there. It should have been triggered, but it's not. Mm. And it, it was in that moment for me, and I put the story in the second book, where I realized that I had fractured my ego and I wasn't living by my ego anymore. I had a big problem with anger growing up because that's what I saw growing up. And as I got older, I took that with me because I thought that was normal. So if you witness anger, trauma, violence as you grow up, then you take that with you along the way because that's what you think is normal. Mm-hmm. And It wasn't until realizing first that, A, that's not normal, and you do not have to fight, fight, fight for everything that you have. Then learning how to put that into action and reprogram myself because I have to reprogram my subconscious, which has all those experiences, and my ego that's telling me to react that way. Well, fight for it. Well, take it. Well, do what you have to do to get it. And what happened eventually was I was practicing this technique over and over again. And another technique that I utilized was putting myself in the third person and kind of being the director of my own movie. Hmm. So I'm like the star of my movie, right? But I'm also the director and I'm telling my character the way I want him to react to things that are occurring. So if you just pause for that one second and give yourself direction from your awareness and not from your ego, you can make huge changes. Okay, so here's the story. It was a snowy day and it was about to get much worse. And we weren't married yet, my wife and I. We had two separate homes and the blizzard was coming and I wanted to get a jump start and get home. So I jumped into my car, which was an expensive automobile because I thought at that time that that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. It was like a status symbol that I could afford this car, but I, it took a long time to save up the money to buy it. So I'm driving my car and it's getting more and more difficult to see the snow's coming down heavily. There's ice on the road and a deer pops out of nowhere right in front of my car and I hit the deer. (gasps) Now, normally that would trigger all my adrenaline, which would make me angry. I would be angry with myself or angry with the deer or who knows what I would be angry with, but I would be angry. Mm-hmm. And that did not happen at all. In fact, nothing happened except I felt compassion for the deer. And I got out of the car to see if the deer was okay. Now I'm asking myself, who am I? Like I don't even <laughs> recognize myself or what I'm doing but I know it's good. So I I went to the deer and the deer got up, which was amazing. And she just kind of walked off, not injured, which was crazy. I wasn't injured. And and this was big deer. I mean, when people hit deers, they can wind up in the ER, not to mention, you know, the damage to the car. So I'm fine. The deer's fine. And the car is a wreck, but that's just a car. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I realized that as even though you know I had busted my butt to save money for that I realized it's not a big deal. I can't go back in time. I can't change anything that just happened. What is is accept it and surrender to what it is because the only thing that I can change from this moment forward is how I feel about what just transpired. And I don't want this to change the way I feel going forward for a minute or an hour or a day or anything else, because it doesn't deserve that much attention. It's not important.
0: Wow. That's amazing. That's an amazing reaction. And then there's also the realizations like, don't let these five minutes ruin the rest of your 24 hours. Um, Well said. Because we do that, or I do that. I mean, most, oh, yeah. pe- most people do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm uh, Sure. In fact, it was not too long thereafter that I was driving the car, a different car. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I had uh, not run the stop sign, but almost didn't stop. It was my fault. And I went a little bit too far and, and another driver slammed on his brakes. And uh, he was obviously quite upset with me. And he proceeded to yell and scream and curse me out and get out of the car and all that. And I just kind of like started chuckling to myself. I started laughing because I was like, I'm, I was just like this guy <laughs> at one time. And he's going to go to work wherever he's going his destination and he's going to tell everybody this idiot who just almost ran a stop sign nearly killed me blah, blah 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 then he's going to go home to his wife and have dinner and she he's going to say you're not going to believe what happened today uh this idiot almost ran a stop sign and i nearly died and then the next morning he may even continue with the story again now i'm going to forget about him in 30 seconds right he's going to live with this anger for maybe a day, a night, two days. I don't know what, but I don't deserve that much attention from anybody. (laughs) We didn't hit, nothing happened.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, some people just like the drama, but still that's a lot of power to give someone you don't even know.
1: Why? Exactly. Especially when you're trying to do something like manifestation, which really takes you to be close to your resonant frequency At most times, so that you can emit the frequency needed for you to acquire the thing that you're looking for, right? Mm -hmm. So if people, or anything for that matter, are able to disrupt you and take you out of your frequency that you need to be in for your acquisition, well, you're not going to get it. I'm not saying this guy is a spiritual guy, but Mm. let's say he was, right? And uh, he was spent his day manifesting and meditating and trying to get something. And here I come along and I, I nearly hit him with my car. And now I throw him off for two days. And he's got two days of not getting any closer to the thing that he's trying to acquire because he just allowed me to take him out of that frequency. And again, he's giving me too much power.
0: Yeah, Now, your journey is built on some significant milestones, which we haven't really covered. But it starts with your first book from your past as an atheist and a near death experience. Mm. Um, And those experiences have transformed your outlook, I guess. Um, Can you talk about these moments and how they've shaped your approach to spirituality?
1: Sure. I would say that I began an atheist because I was rebelling against the belief that my family had in Christianity. And I didn't have a wonderful childhood. It was certainly not like the Brady Bunch, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, when you come from chaos and that's what you learn, well, then when you get a little bit older, you're the one causing the chaos because that's what you think is the way it should be and I would rebel by just justifying it in my head there's no higher power no one's looking out for you no one cares you know and that was my attitude moving forward and it was a self-destructive one at that so when I was 20 I did have an NDE and it did change my perceptions of things somewhat although It was very complicated in the sense that, you know, you cross over. And I had this amazing experience. I was drawn into the white light, which was euphoric and beautiful. And there was a being at the end of the light who told me it was okay to come into the light and you have this amazing experience. And the reason I came back or asked to come back was because my father was holding onto my lifeless body and I was above my body looking at this transpiring Mm. and um you know we didn't really have a great relationship and i think i longed for that that was one of the few times he hugged me and it was when i was dead so i wanted to experience that more and i asked the being if i could go back and when i woke up the paramedics were working on me and they were i was in a different room and they were doing whatever it is that they do and i was like Hey, did anybody see the white light? Did anybody see the voice or hear the voice? And wasn't that amazing? And they started looking at me like uh, I was high on drugs or I was oh, out wagon, of my mind. Wagon. And I'm worried about going to the wrong hospital, so I just kind of shut up and let that go. But um, <laughs> when I brought it up, people would, you know, be like, "Ah, daddy, you know, that's not the case." My mother was in complete denial. The reason it happened was there was a fire in my home, and although it wasn't the fire that hurt me or the smoke. It was actually gas fumes because it was triggered by a gas leak that was in the stove. My bed was just above the stove. My bedroom was above the kitchen. Oh, wow. So the gas was rising all night and that's actually what took my life. So they resuscitated me and I want to tell everybody the story kind of, but I'm apprehensive. So what I do is I just justify this away so I can remain an atheist. And I say, well, I probably fell in front of the window on a sunny day. There's my white light Mm -hmm. and I was inhaling gas fumes for a very long time that could cause hallucinations. And there it is. You know, it was a simple way to box it up, put it away and then not have to deal with it. Yeah. And it wasn't until many, many years later that I had to come back and acknowledge it as being real. I think in the back of my mind, I always knew that it was real because you feel it i mean it's not like you just watch it occur you you feel it you live it you're part of the light you feel the euphoria you feel different afterwards when you come back everything about that type of experience really changes you so i could try to play the tough guy and say no no that was just this and it would meaningless and put it in a box but it was going to reveal itself again later on in life and it did but that was the catalyst into one of the catalysts into me going into a state of wanting to learn more Mm -hmm. about not just the nde but i also wanted to learn more about spirituality and that really came from me meeting my second wife who one day said to me when we were dating so what are your spiritual beliefs, hon? And I said, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> so I said, I've been meaning to get around to figuring that out, but I really haven't. And this is all in the first book. She bought me a spiritual clearing and um, I really didn't know what that was, and, nor did I care. And I was like, okay, that's wonderful. Will we be having cake on my birthday too? And she says, yeah, I have cake. I said, okay, spiritual and cake. Here we go. But what had happened was, is that clearing, which was a distance clearing done by an energy healer, she called me up and she said, you don't have to be present for this, but I'm going to do it at 10 a.m. on Friday. Don't have any appointments and make sure you don't really do much on the weekend. And I'm like, "Okay, whatever. And, you know, I hang up the phone and two hours later, I really do feel strange and I can't really put a finger on why I feel the way I do. I'm wobbly. I'm just a little off. And she calls me back and she says, okay, I've completed it. And I was like, yeah, I think I know. And she's like, that's okay if you're feeling that way. It'll go away in a few days. I was like, okay. And that was the beginning. After that, between having crossed over, having this occurrence, the other side and the energy that I could really I can I can go into when I was a child and I started to see it but I didn't understand it now here I am these beings can cross over they know I can see them because I've been on their turf now they're on my turf mm. and they know I can see them and hear them and when I say see and hear, it's not with my eyes or my ears then I'd be schizophrenic what I am is I am able to decode energy as it's floating around in front of me. And if they want to speak, quote unquote, they know how to do that. And I know how to receive it.
0: Kind of intuitive.
1: Yeah. The first person, quote unquote, that comes to me in this state that I can really communicate with was a man who kept saying the same thing over and over to me, he said, I effed up, I made a mistake you can help her i cannot and he was repeating this message to me as i was not listening or not wanting to listen he said it more and more and more and it began on a friday and it was like every hour on the hour or so and then on saturday it was more frequent and by sunday All I was seeing and hearing was him because he just would not leave me alone. And I wasn't able to function at this point anymore. And now what do I do with this? I I remember the, the final moment for me, I was in a store and I was paying for my stuff and I must've paused or just was staring in space. I don't know what I was doing, but the clerk says to me, sir, are you okay? And I said, no. No, I'm really not. And I went out to my car and I'm thinking, well, I'm insane. And I have to start making preparations for my children. I know I have a will. I have to call my brother, make sure he's got my DNR because I'm not coming back here again. I'm going to the light and I want to make sure I have my affairs in order.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And here's this woman I just started dating and I'm in love with. And, you know, we just started this romance and now I have to tell her I'm crazy. Let's put on top of all of this, that by trade, she is a doctor of psychology and a doctor of neuropsychology. Hmm. So imagine the date where we're sitting there and I'm like, hey, honey, how's the salmon? By the way, I see dead people. Oh, it's good. (laughs) Good. Would you like dessert? I'm sorry. What do you say? What do you say? (laughs) So I'm debating, what do I do? You know, I know I need help. I know I need help so i figure well i've got to tell her anyway and so maybe she can point me in the right direction and tell me where i can get the help i need so i tell her and i tell her what the guy looks like he's a big husky guy beard mustache thick black hair and he keeps saying this to me and she said oh that sounds like my dad and i said i'm sorry what no yeah and I said no i saw the picture of your dad on the mantle it doesn't look anything like that guy and i this guy like i said he's big he's husky he's got the beard the mustache and she's like that picture was like 25 years old let me show you what he looked like before he died and she shows me the picture and i was like you know him (laughs) oh my goodness you know that guy and she's like that's my dad silly I've seen many mediums and he comes through. He's very powerful. Every medium I've ever seen tells me how powerful he is. She said, you're probably just a medium and you don't even know it. Huh. I said, what the hell is a medium?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is a medium? I don't know this. Uh, you know, I am in my atheist mode, believing in nothing trying to stay there as they're trying to pull me out. Yeah. And what I expected was she was going to give me a phone number to a doctor and say, never call me again. And it was completely the opposite. She embraced it and she said, listen, I'm going to take you to see a medium. And I was like, okay. okay. And you guys can talk. And, you know, I know this one woman who's coming to town just happened to be coming to town. Like these things just happen to be Yeah. at the exact same time I needed the help. Here she comes. And so she books us two appointments and I go in and, I'm telling her what I see and how I see it and the feelings and the vibrations and what happens and the the movie screen, I call it, that opens up in my head and it's my third eye. And she says, stop, stop, stop. That's the way I see it too.
0: Huh?
1: It's exactly how I see things. And I was like, a big feeling of relief came over me.
0: Yeah, I guess so. You're not crazy, huh?
1: I'm not crazy, but what <laughs> am I? So now am I, I'm this thing called a medium? What do I do with that? What are my obligations? Am I a freak? What will people think? Right? So all of these thoughts are going through my mind and she wound up being my first mentor for the first year. And that she probably saved my life because I really could not take on what was happening to me in that moment. I could not handle it. And she taught me how to turn it on, turn it off, make it less of a burden, and just overall deal with it. Yeah. And yeah, she saved my life, no question.
0: Wow, you just have some amazing stories. So now this woman is your wife now?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, we're married. Oh, All and- right. right. Yeah, yeah. Smart oh yeah. move, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <You> think? <laughs> 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 accepting that, accepting me for me?
0: Right. Yeah, I would've thought I was nuts. Go figure, huh? Wow, hmm. that's, that's incredible.
1: I put a ring on it real quick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my goodness now I guess what I want to know is how do you see like is there an alignment between science and things you can see and prove and and spirituality and things that are oh. more based on things you cannot see
1: gosh yes and it, it was the missing piece for me to accept this and that these things were actually real because I'm my own biggest skeptic mm. um, aside from being scared of it i'm being a non-believer i had to overcome both of those things and in order to do so i started to try to learn as much as i could on the spiritual side but also on the scientific side i went back to college again oh, wow. this time for metaphysics and i'm almost done with my phd in metaphysics which seemed like it took forever, but in metaphysics, we connect science with spirituality. We look for those junctions Mm -hmm. where they come together and where they meet. And I also explored that on my own too, by just being a voracious reader and reading Eckhart Tolle and reading, uh, Deepak. And then also on the other end of the spectrum, I would read Tesla and Einstein and Bohr mm. and all the great physicists from the past. And I started to see these links and these connections between the two. So the second book gives you not just the principle, the spiritual principle, But it also gives you the science behind it of how that principle works. And it also gives you my own story of replicating it. So those are the components that have to go into the book. I have to be able to replicate it. I have to know the science behind it. And then I have to be able to replicate it again. And then it makes it to the book because at that point, I believe it's real and I'm not going to put anything in a book unless I believe it's real. Mm. So that's kind of the criteria. And the more I learned, the easier it got to understand how everything really is energy and understanding the laws of thermodynamics. The first law of thermodynamics states that all energy must be be recycled. It must become another form. It mm-hmm. can't cease to exist and no new energy can come into our universe. There's an, a certain amount, a finite amount, and that's it. But it changes what it is. So if you believe, as I do, that consciousness is energy, and it, I think that's been proven, it's emitted from the brain, mm-hmm. right? But it's the thoughts and the thoughts are things and they are energy and so when you die or I die, that energy has to go somewhere. We know this because it's scientifically proven that all energy must go somewhere, right? So you can't just die and that's it. You, I can't be an atheist. There can't be any such thing as that if the first law of thermodynamics holds true. Mm. And I started finding more and more and more of things like that and That's what went into the book. And all of these things led to my huge spiritual awakening, which was that moment when everything kind of clicked for me right around the deer time.
0: Right. Wow. Gosh, you share so much in this book. How would you advise readers to go through it, work through it as you go type thing? Is it a read and, and, and refer back to?
1: The way I would probably recommend doing it is reading a chapter and repeating what's in there recreating it for yourself you, sometimes it's every three chapters to complete a whole idea okay. but a- as you go through the ideas and as you go through the spiritual principles i would pause and do that one you know and do it again and again and then move on to the next segment of the book which will have the next principle Now, I didn't write it specifically that way. It just formulated itself that way because it was being written as things were occurring to me and the things I was learning, I was writing about. And the more I learned, the more I wrote and the more I wrote, the more I learned And at the end of the book, I had a huge spiritual awakening. I think people have many awakenings on their journey, but I had this huge one, so I had to go back and rewrite a lot of the things in the book because I made this huge discovery at the end of the book. Oh, wow. I "I have to tell people about that. So now I kind of connected the dots a little bit more before the release of it. I I really think it's, I know I've only written two, I'm going to say it's the best, (laughs) I've only written two books. (laughs) But <laughs> I think it's uh, I think it's my best work, and it seems to be doing well. So well, good. Well, I mean, I mean,
0: that only makes sense. I mean, we evolve and grow as as authors, as people. So it's gonna, you know, hopefully you're gonna yeah. improve, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, the third book it's it's already in the works. So uh, wow, I've got more to share.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. What kind of feedback have you had so far? Like, have you had people that have read the the second book and then gone back to read the first book based on, you know, what all they've learned from your second book or vice versa? What does that experience look like for your readers?
1: It doesn't matter which one you read first because the second book will condense what occurred in the first one to kind of get you caught up and you can just jump right in. But it's not going to really elaborate like the first one does Um, really going into detail of me telling all the different stories of near deaths and out of body experiences and other things that have transpired and exactly how they happened in, in detail. The second book will give you a a condensed version of that. So you can jump right in, but I've really had people go do it both ways. The biggest thing I think the responses that I've gotten personally like recently, I spoke at the IONS convention, which is the International Association of Near-Death Survivors. Oh, wow. And I spoke about the second book. And afterwards, the folks in the audience came up to me and they're like, this changed my life. And they were, some of them were crying and they hugged me. And it was just, it was such a moment when I realized that this is making a difference. It's really making a difference. and. Yeah that was the idea. I mean, you certainly don't become an author for the money. I mean, yeah. God willing, maybe it'll be there someday, but it sure as heck ain't there, right? So you, it takes a long time to sell a million books or whatever it is you have to sell. So when you do this, it's because you're it's your love of the product. It's your love of the information that you're putting in the book. And to know that it meant that much to some people really meant a lot to me. Yeah. And It meant go write another book, right?
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So you you have another book uh, in the works or Mm -hmm. just in the planning stages? Can you tell us a little bit about the third book?
1: Um, I can tell you that it will pick up where this one leaves off. As I evolve and I learn more about spirituality and coming closer to enlightenment. I'm not an enlightened being, but I hope to get there while I'm still here on this earth. And as I achieve greater levels of consciousness, I write about how I get there or how I think I got there. And I try to always take the reader with me through the story so that they can relate to it and they can do it too. I wanna stress, I'm not special, I'm not chosen, I'm not talented, I'm not any of those things. I'm just a regular guy who was forced to deal with some unusual situations that forced me to recognize that there's more to this world than just what we see with our five senses. Mm. But you don't have to learn it that way. You don't have to learn it through trauma. There there are books out there that you can read to learn how how to jump into this and you don't have to go through that. If I wasn't forced through it, I don't think I have ever would have done it. I yeah. probably would have lived an atheist and died an atheist, yeah. and found out when it was too late.
0: Yeah. Well, for some people, they do have to go through trauma, but others are constantly seeking it. Like you're constantly evolving, mm-hmm. so it's in process. Your third book. Do you have a publishing date in mind, or are you just? I was kinda... afraid you were going to say <laughs> that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I do not, and 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 thank goodness I don't have anyone to say you must give me that book by X date. No, right. Uh, it it'll roll out as it's meant to, um, and it, it'll it'll be some time. It'll mm-hmm. be some time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put a date because I could get all the way to the end of the book like I did with this one, and then have to go back and rewrite some things, and so it, it has to. It it's um. It takes on a life of its own and yeah. it needs to be able to do that, especially this type of a book anyway.
0: Okay. okay. Now I know you've been doing uh, several podcasts. I see you all over the internet and that's fabulous. I love that. That's a great thing. And getting the word out about your book. So being this is book two, how has the marketing experience been different for you? Like, do you feel like you're finding your niche
1: yeah um or they're finding me i don't know which i don't think i ever knew or thought about who that niche was going to be It just kind of i i don't think there's there is one because it's kind of
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it doesn't matter how old you are it doesn't matter if you're male or female it does it just it just matters if you want to evolve and as i privately coach in practice and i have kids that are in college And I have men and women, you know, who are in their 40s and they're married. And I have people that are everything in between that you can think of, older and younger. Mm -hmm. And the spectrum is just so large. But the one commonality is that they all want to grow Mm -hmm. and they're all seeking something. And that something is they'll be able to get to the something using the same things that I used, but I'm not telling them how to do it. You know what? Does that make right, sense? Right. right. Yeah, it's not cookie yeah. cutter, you it's know? Not. So I'm guiding you on the path, but I'm not saying do this, do that, because that may not work for you. So it, it can't be that specific. It's got to be guidelines to just allow the person to evolve slowly mm-hmm. and achieve the levels that they wish to achieve. Okay it's fascinating to watch it's fascinating
0: do you work with individuals or groups or okay
1: well nowadays everything's online meaning it's virtual okay but currently i do one-on-one sessions but i am going to roll out a new website it'll be raycatania.com which is up and running but it's not we're going to put out a new site which will have content on it and classes and courses so you will have a variety of options for you instead of right now, the option being the one-on-one coaching, because I'm very limited on my time as far as how many people I can take. So I think if I start doing classes, whether they're live or they're pre-recorded either way, that you'll be able to get um, a lot of information out of it. Yeah. So that's what's in the works right now.
0: Okay. And you can help more people that way too. I
1: really. think so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so. wonderful. I guess if there's one thing you want to leave our listeners with, what would that be?
1: What would that be? Well, there's a couple of things. The first thing is the title of the second book, like we mentioned earlier, You're Still Alive, Now Act Like. It really means to just get out there and find what it is that you love and do it. And I say that because a lot of people are in jobs that they don't like, or maybe they're in a relationship they don't like, or they're in this situation, just go, stop thinking and just start doing it. Just move forward. Because if you believe everything will fall into place, hey, is it going to be a bumpy road? It might be, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, you will get to where you want to go if you just go forth and do it. And then the second thing is, as you're doing that, remember that we're all one being at the end of the day, we're all connected to that same collective energy. Mm. And when we harm someone else, we're harming ourselves and vice versa. So live and let live and help others. And the more that you help others, the more you will help yourself. And the more you help yourself, the more people you can help. And it's that give and take and that balance right there that leads us to evolve and become what we're supposed to become instead of where we could possibly go. And we see some of the things that are happening around the world that are just absolutely terrible. Yeah. We need to focus on ourselves getting better and bringing as many people as we can with us. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that's the direction that humanity takes.
0: I hope so. Yeah. Well, Ray, I'm so glad that we finally had the chance to talk. Thank you so much for joining us and then sharing a little bit about yourself and your experiences. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Sherry. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. We'll do it again.
0: Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Ray Catania, author of You Are Still Alive, Now Act Like It. You can learn more about Ray and his work at raycatania.com and be sure and check out our other interviews at insidescooplive.com.